0: Also, we have an update for you. During the interview, you'll hear me and Jack refer to Heather Heyer, the woman who was killed when she was mowed down by a driver, as a Wobbly or a member of the Industrial Workers of the World or IWW. That was the information that was available at the time. It's now not clear that she was a Wobbly or in the IWW, but I'm keeping in the story that I tell towards the end of the interview about another Wobbly because I think it's still relevant and poignant. A special breaking news episode of The Katie Halper Show that we did with reporter Jack Smith, who is a senior writer at Mike, and he is coming to us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Make sure that you become Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, this patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show, so you can hear our extended interview with Jack Smith. Welcome, Jack.
1: Hey Katie, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for talking to me. And people may be following you on Twitter because you've been really consistently tweeting about this. Uh, Jack's Twitter handle is Jack Smith. What
1: is it? IV the fourth. Do you know my oh, yeah. name?
0: I do, but I just want Jack Smith IV. The only, uh, the least Jewish name, the least ethnic name, probably in my entire phone.
1: I knew that we, we were going to get into. Ethnogra- ethnography, like, really rapidly on my first Kitty Alper show appearance.
0: of course, and thank you for coming, we've been wanting to have you on, and, uh, you know, people who are listening to this are definitely listening, there is a huge, you know, white uh, pride, whatever you want to call it, Nazi, we're going to get into what to call it in a second, there was a Nazi rally, basically, today, and people are definitely tuning in, because they want to hear me make jokes about, um, you know, Jewish jokes, the, yeah, the fish. Yeah. White fish. That's definitely why. Yeah, and people by the way, want to like, talk your
1: your your people were uh, out there today. Like a lot of, there were a lot of Jewish guys. Jewish guys, especially at this rally, were the kind to be right up in the uh, na- white nationalist faces, being hmm. like, "I'm a Jew. Come and fucking get a piece of this!" And like, like really, ah. like, like flashing, like. Tattoos and stuff at them, which is also
0: what kind of tattoos? Like this Jew kills fascists. Yeah, so well, does.
1: yeah, I, well, like stars of David and stuff, which you guys aren't allowed to do technically. I suppose I, get, I don't know,
0: not religious, but I guess not. I don't. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I so- know that
0: mostly from Kirby Enthusiasm when the mom can't get buried in a spoiler alert in a Jewish cemetery because she has a tattoo on her ass. They
1: learn. Right. Yeah, yeah. In the meantime, let me let me talk to you. You you started in a really interesting place, which is like what to call this rally. Yes. And I want to yeah. like clarify because a lot of people are trying to define it. One of the one of the really messy things here is watching mass media. You know, I've I'm not. You know, I wouldn't say I'm among uh, one of the better alt right reporters, but I'm I do it often enough that uh, you sort of get used to um, parsing out some of the finer points of what these individuals believe what they purport and and what uh sort of how to uh distinguish between the intentional layers of irony they put between their expressions of their politics and and what they sincerely believe uh anyway so what this really is is in a couple months leading up to this rally there's sort of a thinning of the ranks in of the Mm. alt-right uh you know, the alt right is, is a quote. Um, is an, uh, the quote alt right is an umbrella term that gets loosely applied to like sort of dozens of different groups. Like anything from like uh, you know these guys with handles like Pepe Himmler thirteen eighty eight who just like trigger liberals online or whatever. Um, straight up, straight along the way to like Proud Boys and actual neo Nazis and shit. So it's a it's a pretty diverse group. And sort of what's been happening is some of the more super Trumpy media types and the 4channers and the internet trolls have sort of been finding themselves slowly pushed out of this movement. And the serious nationalists and the white supremacists and the white identitarians basically saying you got to be on board for a unified message around white identity or you need to, like, get the fuck out of the way, basically. Um, so that's what this – that's what the, the purpose of this rally is. And a lot of people think, oh, is it white supremacy? Is it pro-Trump? Well, you know, a lot of the people out there at this rally are saying things to us and saying things to the camera and we, we spoke to a bunch of people including, you know, Matthew Heimbach of Traditionalist Worker Party, I spoke to David Duke briefly, um, who will tell you, look, we identify with parts of Trumpism, the nationalist, the border wall, um, repeal of DACA, a- anti-immigrant policies, the real nationalist stuff that resonates with sort of the ethno-identitarians of, the, of both the Confederate South and sort of like the online right and the young, aggrieved sort of millennial neo-masculines and the white identitarians, anyhow. Um, but these, they want, what they really want and what, what, what's important to realize coming out of this event is the, the purpose of their declaration is we're a unified group, we have a platform of nationalism specifically around white identity um, and we want to hold Trump accountable to these things, and Trump is very weak on these things. He's weak on these points that he was he was all about on the campaign trail, and that he used to draw us into his movement. Well, we want to be an internal opposition party. We want to pull Trump and the Republicans further the, further to the right. Matthew Heinbach, that sort of uh, uh, sort of gruffer uh, head of the traditionalist Workers Party, he's a real real far-right um, uh, figurehead in this movement. He said, Trump isn't draining the swamp. Trump is filling the swamp even further. He is pro-bourgeois. He's a pro-capitalist, and that's everything that we're against. So, so that's sort of to, to clear up what this rally is about. It's a declaration of intent, and that intent is uh, to drive Republicans further and further um, to the right and into nationalism and holding Trump accountable to his campaign promises.
0: So these are people, it's interesting because I noticed that Trump did condemn it and I was kind of surprised. I thought he'd avoid it like he has. A, a... I have,
1: I've been, I've been keeping up, but he, he, he condemned hate, Right. Right. I'm going to make a yeah, comparison. Not
0: explicitly, yeah, go.
1: I'm going yes. to make a comparison that's funny cuz I saw I don't know if you were going I'm going to make it relevant for your audience. Uh cuz Neera Tandon uh oh, yeah. tweeted out that Progressives need to focus on on the right uh-huh. enemy right now. Did you see that one? Did you engage with yeah, that? Yeah,
0: responded to it a bunch, yeah.
1: And now what she said is, hey, I'm just calling for unity, right? And it's yeah, kind of exactly. like when tr- – it I, I don't mean to compare ah, near attendance to Trump. But when you know Trump says something like condemning hate, what you're doing is you're making a vague enough statement that you have plausible deniability around what you're actually saying such that whoever that message is falling on, they'll pick it up and make it politically useful. You know, Trump's statement isn't useful to – so that Trump comes out and says we must end hate and violence on both sides isn't useful for the left. It's useful for the right.
0: Right. I mean, to be clear, I have no, it's not like all of a sudden, maybe I need to rethink this whole Trump thing. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean that for, Tr- for Trumpian, stan- by Trumpian standards, his even saying anything. But I think that it makes sense if we look at what you were saying, which is that these people are not Trump allies they kind of overlap with him in certain areas but for them he's way too he's he's what he's not nationalistic not nationalist enough he's not uh right wing enough he's too you know I mean then these things get complicated right like where's the right where's the left not that you or I ever talk in those stupid terms of horseshoe theory but when we're talking about right wing movements um you know there's more populist more nationalist more racialist and then there can be more free market and then gets kind of complicated. It but isn't just one
1: spectrum is- or, or one delineation or one shape of these things. They run along different, um, they run along different dimensions. And you by the way, actually, way real quickly, movement. can I can I comment on that For one sure. thing you just said about horseshoe theory movement? It, it, people yeah. people are so funny, and they see like they just don't understand how left populism and right populism can be different. What they do, right. what, which is interesting, is because uh, you know the center sees critiques of itself. And they see the same critique levied at them from both sides. And because they are not focused on, they're focused on defense of their particular status quo and not on solutions and what politically is being proposed, what we get is uh, a critique-based understanding of these groups such that the left populace and the right populace have the same critique of why the center is shitty and therefore they might as well be the same groups, even though they have totally opposite ideas of how to replace them. Really, Not that difficult an idea to, to, to understand.
0: And it also, I mean, this is something that came up a lot with the Bernie Trump comparisons. It's like, if you appeal to angry white men, you are the same thing. And I, I know I've said this on so many different occasions, so I apologize if I sound like a broken record, but it's incredible to me that we have to still say this, like, you want to appeal to angry white men, but you want to say to them, don't hate Muslims and Mexicans, hate inequality and structural inequality, inequality. What, what, uh, what? and that the rich don't pay taxes. I mean, that's th- those are so fundamentally opposing, and what centrists don't get is that when you don't have a competing uh, ideology or, that appeals to these people, you have a vacuum on the left and then you have a, a very scary charismatic thing going on with the right it's so odd.
1: getting back to, the, to to the rally in the lead up before there was this proposal of before there's the, this propo- new proposal of a common platform which is kind of what the unite the right is about there was a lot of confusion at many of these protests i remember particularly in boston when it was more like it wasn't a pro right it was just kind of like an anti anti trump you know it was just a bunch of people trying to provoke basically it was a combination of like these alt night types and proud boys trying to draw anti fascists into a battle you would have people on the left chanting things like you know before the right the, this this particular right faction stood for something cohesively you would have left chants of on the on the hill people would chant things like uh um we will not give up the fight something like we will not give up the fight healthcare is a human right and you'd have people in the far right crowd say things like i don't know i think that's pretty much right like i think that sounds good or you would have or you would have them doing the same chant at the same time which is uh weird like the i believe that we will win chant or you would have you know the the left would start like one leftist would start like playing really anti-media songs like the yeah, like anti-flags press corps and like the right would come over and high five that guy
0: oh my gosh
1: yeah because because the right this this right movement that was called the alt right had so little ideological cohesion that it sort of left people with nothing but their uh, They're individual politics, but also their sort of like collective um, senses of grievance and common enemy, which which, you know, when that's all you have, you know, that's not really what a political ideology um, is. It can generate political op- grievance can generate political opinion, but I think it's one of the things that we see in general in the media, which is um, in lieu of pro-Trumpism, we just see kind of like anti-Trumpism.
0: Because Trump himself is so ideologically kind of uh, all over the place and not very disciplined and not very uh, ideological, right? Yeah.
1: So then today, then there's today, right? So. Okay. uh, Yeah,
0: we're like, let's let's just talk about like philosophy, political philosophy. You know, what is neocon versus neoliberal? Meanwhile, you're like in Charlottesville. Yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but you know, yeah. Let's let's stay grounded because you're on the ground. Let's keep to it. So,
1: uh, so uh, early in the day, obviously. almost everything went down before the rally was even meant to begin. But there was hours of it. I mean, we were out there at 9 a.m., and there were a good three hours of of prep work. Um, And basically, the real conflict began. I think what the right might have been anticipating and what often happens at these events is um, the anti-fascists will try to get in people's face. There will be a little bit of skirmish. But because the right wing has the protest permit, they're protected. Mm. So what ends up happening is the leftists get driven away because they're not having a permitted demonstration. And then the right gets to stay and the right gets to declare themselves a victory because the cops did the work for them. Um, in this case, what happened was a skirmish and I've, I've got a lot of this on Twitter. Um, the right-wing groups were not good at communicating to each other about how to get into the park, so they kept going to the wrong fucking places um, and not to the entrance, which was in the middle of a.
0: Can you can you set this up for us as if we have no idea what the kind of logistics and the layout is and what what this protest was about, what the park was?
1: Definitely. So this uh, this the park was. Uh, Robert Lee Park it was Robert, basically Robert E. Lee Park, but Lee Park with the Robert E. Lee statue and this, In I believe it was in April, the city of Charlottesville decided we're renaming this park Emancipation Park and taking down the Confederate monuments. The Confederate monuments are a, a sort of a stain on what this town was. Charlottesville is a city that was under, I believe, I believe, I believe Confederate control. Um, but not in the Confederacy. And basically, what we know about why this Confederate, these Confederate statues were put up historically, is not because we liked, because they liked the Confederacy at the time, or it was a Confederate area, but because it sort of reinforced culture around Jim Crow laws. These things were erected well after the Civil uh, War, during the Jim Crow era. So these these are sort of a relic that binds those two eras together, both dark times, and and represent. Very clearly what they do. So um, basically what happened is the the right, led by a local, I believe he was, maybe he was a Daily Caller contributor, I I don't know, Jason Kessler decided he would get sort of the A-list of white nationalist speakers to hold a rally with the theme, uh, a common nationalist chant, you will not replace us, which works on the historical angle, but also... Very directly, the the far right paranoia that um, white supremacist that uh, the 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 far right paranoia that the white man is being replaced through genocide um, via immigration um, and multiculturalism. So this park was uh, there was a battle about whether or not it would be held in this park. This park is uh, fairly small. It is one I believe one point four acres in a town. Remember this this event was set to draw a thousand but you know uh, anywhere from between uh three to six thousand people in a town that only has a population of uh, i believe about thirty thousand so it was just like going to be basically a powder keg um and uh early in base so early in the morning, they tried to move it and it didn't get moved and it didn't get moved as of like late last night i mean we're talking like it was only in the hours before the rally was going to go on that we really knew it was going to happen. Um, so early in the morning, anti, you know, anti-racist protesters, anti-fascist protesters, Black Lives Matter, Jewish protesters um, on the front, clergy took the front lines, which was fucking cool, um, and sort of did their heckling as the far-right groups kind of uh, made their way in, and there were chants back and forth and the usual taunting, everything you'd expect, right? So the groups present are everyone from, um, you know, a large contingent of what we think of as Southern nationalists, so Confederates, um, uh, people, you know, what you think of as like the KKK, sort of that old vanguard of, of Southern Confederate white nationalists, um, explicit white identitarian groups like Identity Europa. um which is a sort of new, very young, white identity fraternity that is meant to be very sleek and look very fresh um, and has a small contingent. It's the, it's the group that Richard Spencer most often sort of pals around with. They provided ad hoc security detail to him in D.C. It's sort of a precursor rally to this one about a month ago. Um, they brought in, uh, and then then, so we've got those kind of groups, and then we've got, Traditionalist Workers' Party and Vanguard America. And this is like where we start to get into the territory of like, you know, Appalachian and Midwestern white identitarian white nationalist, but of a sort of darker, much more explicitly, um, I guess you'd call it like an explicitly white nationalist, um, white-identitarian, pro-worker, sort of the newest vanguard of what would usually be, like, compound neo-Nazis, led by Matthew Heimbach. Matthew Heimbach famously started the White Student Union at, I believe, Georgetown when he was in college. He's sort of seen as a Confederate, sort of the new leader leader of the new Confederacy. Um, So these are the players, these are the groups. One of the things that started the conflict, basically to sum up the conflicts in short, is uh, Heimbach and the traditionalist workers got cornered on their way to the rally. They basically took a wrong turn and got cornered. And that, when they got cornered, they were pressed further and further back. Um, Some speakers that are very popular in white identitarian circles, like Baked Alaska and Chris Cantwell, got pepper sprayed viciously, pushed... Pushed further and further back, and obviously there was violence on both sides. Um, and you know, people that would have been I would have been anti-fascists and protesters and anti-racist protesters and people on the street. Um, now, to be clear, ahead of time there was so much work done by local organizers, uh, anti-racist organizers, Black Lives Matter organizers, who I've spoken to today and in the weeks leading up to the rally, um, even who communicated with. Um, People on the militia side, and by the way, we also have the militias here. The militia movement really doesn't identify with the white nationalist movement. In fact, the white nationalist movement and the militia movement are very at odds. White nationalists believe in an ethnostate. They are not big fans of the Constitution um, always. And the militia movement is very pro-constitutionalists. Um, they, have, they often get shit for kind of being criticized as racist, and oftentimes those criticisms land in the way that they carry themselves, in the way that they behave in some of the, some of the intonations their leaders use, but um, they're pretty explicitly against sort of the Richard Spencer um, breed of white nationalist. Uh, I, when, I sp- when I was in Boston a few months ago and I spelt, spoke to Oath Keeper's founder, L. Stewart Rhodes, um, he said something uh, I thought was uh, frighteningly... Um, savvy in the way he inverted these uh, this language you know he said oh those guys like you know when we see those white nationalists we uh, we tell them to take that shit off because that's identity politics
0: (laughs) right that's interesting
1: so the militias were standing in here but the militias also were helpful in keeping the peace
0: oh interesting okay let's go back then a second but I do think that what happens is that people conflate militia members having white privilege and being shielded by white privilege and being treated by the police with um, differently than they would be if they were black lives matters they conflate that with a real vitriolic racism and white supremacy right and
1: which isn't to say which isn't
0: to say that, yeah, these, to people say that these people
1: are woke, are woke or even non racist right. and are most certainly not right, anti-racist sure. uh, in their actions <laughs>
0: doing the work yeah they're
1: not <laughs> yeah they're not doing the work. But, but they are on their face and in their messaging, you know, if you ask them, you know, what are you doing protecting these guys, what they'll say is, you know, oftentimes many of them will say like, look, I find these guys disgusting or whatever, but like, uh you know, they, we're protecting the Constitution, we're protecting speech. Of all the people who claim free speech shit out here in these streets, right, the Borchanners and the National Reviews protecting Google Bro and his memo, like, of all the people who talk shit on free speech, oath keepers get it pretty close as far as the right goes. Um, they really are into keeping the peace on both sides, um, but they are also have this like, belief that antifa are like a communist thing that threatens the country they're a little bit out of touch with what they consider the the threat in America they actually believe that you know communism is is it's just like very cold War and strange um, you know it's an aging movement and the white nationalists refer to them by the way as boomer antifa which is uh Anyway, the infighting, we could talk all fucking day about the infighting, but um, there was a lot of work done to keep it nonviolent. However, this skirmish broke out. Pepper spray, uh, water bottles thrown back and forth. And basically what happened was instead of the cops coming and clearing away the anti-fascists and letting the, letting the rally go on, which they could have done, which is what usually happens, where the mm-hmm. police come in and they're like, fuck it, anti-fascists, get the hell out of here and leave these white nationalists alone. Instead, what the cops and the National Guard and the state troopers did was they were like, "Um, everything is an unlawful assembly. We tried to move you out of this park uh, to begin with. Um, All this shit is over. Get the fuck out of the park. Everybody clear the streets. Downtown is in a state of emergency. Uh, Nearly every building closed. And they were like, everybody out, everybody gone. And kind of what happened is the white nationalists were driven... Passed out past the anti-racist protesters who stuck around and cheered. And I posted one video that some people thought was very powerful, where you see the militia receding into the alleyways and you see the traditionalist worker party sort of routed and uh, running down the street or whatever away from the rally. And then the flags, the red flags and Black Lives Matter sign and the DSA flag sort of flying up on the hill um, which was powerful for many people now this is the point in the day at which people felt pretty good because it was I believe about you might call it this might have been about 1 pm I think
0: mm-hmm. at 1
1: p.m people are celebrating the park has been cleared state of emergency has been declared there have been no serious injuries medical dispatch is about in about a dozen for you know scuffles and some cuts and a lot of fucking mace and there are a lot of chemicals in the air. A lot of people dispersing chemicals. But people felt a very good energy because there were rumors that Richard Spencer was arrested. He wasn't. But there was this feeling that this shit had been wiped out of the system. That the thing had been cleared out. And maybe the what? oh, we think the white nationalists are regrouping at a park far away, but fuck them. And eventually they were they, they cleared out of there too. The incident with this vehicle, and I've spoken tonight with um, multiple people, about half a dozen people who are there, and I have just gotten up and publishing the audio soon, but I've gotten off the phone with a few people who were hit by the car. Um, wow. And uh, this didn't happen until quite a bit later. Um, from what we understand, uh, and this... Here on the Katie Hopper Show might be one of the first uh, places this is going to come out. But uh, what happened was, is there was a <coughs> there was a rumor that there, uh, there was a neighborhood, I, I don't know what neighborhood it is, but a neighborhood to the east of the rally that was a neighborhood that was mostly people of color and mostly poor, and that they were being harassed by white nationalists who had been routed in that direction. And they had asked for backup. So DSA and anti-racist organizations, just a bunch of coalitions said, fine, fuck it, we'll march that way. They headed down that way. And then at one point somebody said, actually, they're fine. We're not going over there. We're going to stop this march here and we're not going to – they requested we not actually be over there. Okay, fine. Now there's confusion. And people were just kind of like standing around, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who try to drive through the crowd at this point um, from what I understand, and then they started getting a little bit of shit over it. Like they were driving through driving through that crowd a little bit, and the crowd was not really having it and not happy about it. And then the car sort of unexpectedly um, plowed through a bunch of people, a um, bunch of people in over the windshield, one person I've seen a video was she was given CPR until she died. They gave about ten minutes of CPR. Um,
0: that was a woman, uh, Heather Heather Hare. Or-
1: that would have been her, yeah. Um, and there's video available. Taylor Lorenz from Jesus the Hill Christ. has a pretty good live video of that. And then there's various live there's various videos showing the car. Uh, I was not on that block at the time, um, but uh, we obviously we've been speaking to people, so that has changed the tone pretty dramatically. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to... I'll put it this way. I, I don't mean to put a, a silver lining on it. It's not a silver lining. I want to be clear here. Um, one of the impacts of this death is that, like I said, when we first started the show, this rally had a purpose, which was to create an... Uh, a force that would represent Trump's sort of nationalism and try to hold him account- him and other Republicans accountable to it and show Republicans that there was an interest in those kind of policies beyond sort of dog whistles, you know what I mean? What I think... Now, you, what you said is, oh, Trump, maybe he rebuked it or whatever.
0: But I meant for Trumpian. I meant by... Yeah, but what's yeah.
1: interesting here is what has happened is McCain and Bush and Rubio and Christie and Grassley and Brat and, uh, Gardner and Cruz have all come out and super explicitly, uh, said, you know, Gardner said, Mr. President, we must call evil by its name. These were white supremacists and this was domestic terrorism, uh, Uh, Martha Robbie said, appalled by unspeakable bigotry and violence and white supremacists in Charlottesville, this hatred is un-American. Had there not been a death, had there not been extreme incidences of violence, it's very possible that Republicans wouldn't be moved to swear off this movement the way they did today. And in fact, one of the things we realize, one of the things we've known for a long time and one of the things Trump we've been given, you know, we as Americans, uh, they're progressive leftists, Democrats, centrists, even other Republicans have been saying for a long time is that Republicans have been not have been sort of passively benefiting from this movement. Yeah, if you press them, they'll say, I don't like the KKK, all these, you know, we don't like these racists. But they have sort of allowed this. Mo- Many have been criticized as allowing this movement to be fellow travelers, to be not not disavowing them in a way that says we we are not a coalition. We do not we don't fuck with you. We are not we we are not fellow travelers. We are not political allies. We do not belong next to each other along a spectrum. Um, All of your interests are apart from counterintuitive to and unrepresentative of our interests. And now what's happened is um, Republicans have come out and offered a, drawn a line in the sand and offered a hard rebuke, I think, in a way that steadfastly, um, steadfastly distances themselves from the far right. Um, I don't know if necessarily these politicians deserve um, a standing ovation for that, but it's significant in that, I'll tell you what, I'm still in touch with organizers on both sides, Um, I'm going to try to report some more stories, Uh, we have some interviews I believe that are going to be lined up with the far right Mm. speakers, uh, if we can still get them on the horn by the time me and my producer leave town. I'm um, doing mostly video while I'm here and mostly tweeting. These individuals, many of the speakers who are usually incredibly eager to be a part of the media and be represented and show up in the platforms and and, and give the interviews, um, are la- they are la- laying very low. Um, they are very camera shy. They are hunkered down, and I don't think many of them want to be attached to this. I don't think... Many of them want to seem proud of the events today. Um, And I think that I could be wrong, but I think that they have been realigned in the public eye, perhaps, uh, in a way that will make things much less. Remember, this movement is a movement that thrives on ambiguity. This is a movement that always creates plausible deniability in terms of the dangers of their their movement, because they have always been able to say, "Well, the left is the really one that ki- the, the, are the ones that kick off the violence." Well, we're not we're not anti-black. We're just we're just pro-white, and that's fine. Um, and for anybody who's looking to be sympathetic to this movement. And to build coalition with it and to be fellow, fellow traveler to it, um, those things pass the test often. Those things don't require rebuke. And so they've used this ambiguity, they've used this very savvy messaging to allow themselves to persist in public space and allow themselves to be relevant to the, to the movement and allow themselves to be, by the way, what is their usefulness to the media, but to be a proxy for Trumpism. Right? Is right. to be a prop. So,
0: no, I mean, I think what you said, you said, you know, do they really deserve a uh, standing ovation? No, let's not, you know, shower them with praise. But I think the other question is, like, what will the effect of this be? Because I think that sometimes yeah, this is great. McCain is, is condemning hate, but voting with Trump, right? Or they're saying they stand against hate and it's great optics, but they're supporting the policies and programs. What is this? Does this actually matter? So McCain condemns this. Ted Cruz condemns this. And then what happens is—is is white supremacy, is is neo-Nazism, white nationalism—are these movements neutered, or do they now have a, even more validity and legitimacy because they're even that much more kind of marginalized and and um, you know oppressed or however they would narrate it?
1: I think the problem is is that every per I I, I this this may see, I don't like to reduce things this way, but. I think, honestly, it's as simple as, like... uh, I might have to sneeze here. This is why I'm being weird. Um, I honestly think it's it's as simple as... For the rest of these individuals' lives and for every attempt they have... Every attempt they make to persist in public space, they have to be attached to it. Chris Mm. Cantwell and Baked Alaska and Richard Spencer, and, and uh, Mike Enoch, and uh, Matthew Heimbach. Some of these guys I don't think will be very phased because they already kind of existed at the fringes. Nobody is, like, confused about where Matthew Heimbach stands. Um, but f- for all these guys, they're going to have to account for this. They're going to be made to account for this forever. Instead, whereas before, Baked Alaska was a guy who was like, oh, a media guy who was a BuzzFeed employee, and is he part of the alt-right? Yeah, yeah I don't know is who he, he part is, Baked Alaska. Well, is he part of the alt-right? Well, he, he says he's not, so maybe he's not. Um, or uh, any of these other individuals. Now, the first thing we know about them is... Baked Alaska, or Mike Enoch, or Pax Dickinson, or Chris Cantwell, that guy who was a speaker at the giant white supremacist rally, where that woman died, where the guy drove a car into the crowd, uh, where a state of emergency was declared and helicopters crashed and the National Guard was brought in. I mean, this was a... Look, I'm trying to be pretty I'm trying to be pretty level in this interview. This is a fucking catastrophe. This is a terrible event for everybody involved. It was a foreseeable catastrophe. Um, Everybody had been warning for quite some time that it would be. Uh, Death occurred in an environment where 99% of all individuals uh, were working as hard as they could to create a safe environment. this is a stain on the far right going forward for quite some time. I, this was an event that, like, uh, I, I put it in line with events like uh, Standing Rock or the, the airport protests. Um, the nation, one of the things I'm, I'm feeling looking around in, in the responses I'm seeing on Twitter and stuff like that is um, there are a few moments there are a few moments in a given year or in history uh, where we kind of get where the country stands. And one of the things that the far right has had for a couple of decades is ambiguity in that space. The far right has been doing quite a bit of work to distance themselves from burning crosses and swastikas Mm. and white hoods. Why? Because we feel pretty good about where the nation stands on those things. So they've tried to develop new symbols, and they've tried to create ambiguity, and they've tried to create a a new set of philosophies to mainstream this as part of conservative politics for a new generation. This might have been a major fucking unforced error. Because now, uh. A lot of people know pretty much where they stand. And a lot of Republicans who might otherwise have been passive allies have made a pretty clear stand against them too. And I think for that, um, this was a net loss for everyone, but most especially for those who had the most to gain.
0: Right. right um it's interesting she's trending heather Hare. this is the woman who was murdered and she was with the iww so the international God, workers yes yeah. yeah wow um, yeah which is and we'll get into who they are in a second but um apparently who you know her final facebook cover is a quote if you're not outraged you're not paying attention which is like huh. making me quite emotional and um the wobblies, by the way, the wobblies, Greg Grandin, the historian, put something up on Facebook um,
1: you know by the way, her April uh, I'm seeing something right here her April 2000 you'll like this her April 2000 uh, her April 12 2016 cover photo was Bernie 2016 oh,
0: really? for the woman who was killed she's one of your yeah, ilk. okay mine yeah um, you're such a, a Hillary
1: because I'm such, yeah because I'm such a Hillary man.
0: Exactly, um, and I'm and thanks so much for talking to me, Peter Dow. No, um, the, <laughs> let's see. This week in history, the murder of the IWW laborers leader Little was an American labor leader who was lynched in Butte, Montana, for his union and anti-war activities. He joined the Industrial Workers of the World (IWW) in 1906, organizing miners, lumberjacks, and oilfield workers. He was a member of the union's executive board when he was murdered a hundred years ago on August 1st, 1917. Little was born in 1879, the son of a Cherokee mother and a Quaker father. In Fresno, California, he worked as a union organizer with the Western Federation of Miners before becoming active with the IWW. Um, Wow, this is... So, yeah, he was... I'm looking... uh, And Wobbly is the other name for the people who are in the inter... Yeah, IWW is the Wobbly, yeah. It's, um, It's Industrialized Workers of the World, yeah. Okay, in the early hours of August 1st, 1917, after a speech that the press labeled as a treasonable tirade, six masked men broke into the boarding house where Little was staying. Little was beaten in his room and abducted while still in his underwear. He was bundled into a car which sped away. Little was later... Ugh, this is disgusting. Um, this is disturbing if people don't want to listen to the part... Little was later tied to the car's rear bumper and dragged over the granite blocks of the street. Little was taken to Milwaukee Bridge at the edge of town, where he was hanged from the railroad trestle, dying of asphyxiation. A note with the words, first and last warning, was pinned to his thigh, referring to earlier vigilantes giving people three warnings to stop objectionable actions. The note also included the initials of other union leaders, suggesting they were next to be killed. And at his grave, his tombstone says, Frank Little slain by capitalist interests for organizing and inspiring his fellow men. Anyway, sorry, I took us on a No, I love there, a little but, history. Um, One month
1: before the, what did you say, August, uh, August... August 1st. August 1st, uh, 19, uh, 1917? Yeah. A couple of months later. hundred years ago. Russian Revolution.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: But, yeah, and now Charlottesville is, man, a ghost town, super eerie.
0: <laughs> Were you f- afraid for your life at any point? Make sure that you become Patreon supporters. Go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show so you can hear our extended interview with Jack Smith.